Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is 1 Timothy chapter 2 that I'm looking at in my Bible. And I would invite you to be finding 1 Timothy chapter 2 in your Bible. And I need to especially this morning ask that all of our young ladies be looking in the Bible. We're going to start in 1 Timothy, the second chapter. This part of our worship is devoted to the preaching of God's Word. And so it really is only right that we would all open up that Word and we get ready to read and study together. 1 Timothy chapter 2. What an excellent number we have assembled together here this morning. It does seem that we've got most of our traveling folks back with us once again. We have lots of guests in attendance today, and we're really appreciative of that. So thankful that you've come to be with us on this Lord's Day morning. But I'll tell you what makes this assembly really, really special is the fact that God is in our midst. Which means this morning that we are worshiping for an audience of one. So let's continue to do that right now as we reverence His Word. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm reading here in verses 9 and 10. In 1 Timothy 2 and verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, Likewise also, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness... With good works. I recently stumbled across a book that a sister in Christ had recommended for all of her other sisters in Christ to to read and give some attention to. And the title of that book is what really grabbed my attention. The title of the book was this. It was called Secret Keeper. The Delicate Power of Modesty. Now, I have not read that book. I really don't think that book was intended for people like me. But apparently a lot of people have read that book. You might be able to make out. Over 165,000 copies of this book have been sold. I did, however, read the synopsis for this book. And this book, as you might guess, it is geared toward young ladies and to get them to think about the effect that their appearance, their clothing, how they dress themselves, how that has an effect and an influence on the people who are around them And so the thrust of the book is to encourage them to modesty. Now, I share that with you, not necessarily to endorse that book, but really to focus your minds on the title of that book. Because I think it is a very thought-provoking title. Secret Keeper. It means, ladies, that there are some things about you that need to be kept secret. That there are things that have been given to you, namely your body, that are not to be shown and shared with the rest of the world. And the way that that is accomplished is by the subtitle that the book uses, and I'm going to borrow that subtitle for this sermon this morning. It is accomplished through the delicate power of modesty. You know, it seems like most sermons that get preached on the subject of modesty are actually about immodesty. We talk about how dangerous immodesty is and how if you don't wear the proper amount or the proper kind of clothing that you will reveal too much, you will show too much, and you'll end up having a negative influence on the people who are around you. You'll end up having a negative effect on your family and on the church family, those people that are directly linked to your life. You'll even as well have a negative effect on your personal claim to godliness. And I want you to know that all of that is absolutely true about immodesty. But what I really need us to think about this morning 
is about the tremendous power of modesty. Because modesty is your personal choice. It is your power to thwart all of those negative effects and replace them instead with choices that are a good example for your family and for your church family. That help others that encounter you, to help others to think well of you whenever they see you and how you are dressed, and that will in fact defend your claim and your profession of godliness. And this morning, that is exactly what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the power of modesty. And I want to be very clear about that, about who this lesson is for. This lesson is intended for our young ladies. And I'm not going to stand up here and try to say that it isn't. That book was written for young ladies, and that is the intention of this sermon as well. It is a call for young ladies to think about the clothing that they purchase, the clothing that they put on, no matter where it is that you might be, whether it's going to a funeral or whether it's going to the beach. This lesson is for young ladies. But I want you to know as well, this lesson is also for young men. No, I will not be talking this morning about what young men wear. That really would be a whole other lesson for a whole other time. But I do want our young men to think about the kind of girls that you are spending your time with, that you hang around, that you are looking to date and who you appreciate. Because what I hope is that by the end of this lesson, we will be able to say to the young ladies that we appreciate their faith whenever they dress in a way that is proper and modest. So this lesson is for young men. This lesson is also for older women. In our beauty-centric culture, there are women of every age who are facing these exact same pressures to dress like the world that is around us, provocatively and sexually stimulating. That is true for women of every age. And what older women need to understand is that that call to modesty, it's not just limited to all those youngsters, to the teenagers and the 20-somethings. No, the call to modesty is for everyone. But then there's even one other category that I would add to this list as to who this lesson is for. This lesson is also for husbands and for fathers. I am a husband. And so as a result of that, I want to love my wife. And I want to help her to be pure, as Ephesians 5 talks about. So that she can, in fact, present herself in a holy manner. I want to hold up and lift up her hands. I want to support and encourage her in a way that brings about modesty. And I've got to tell you where this really hit me the most as I was preparing for this lesson. It was when I got to thinking about the fact that I am also a dad. And that I have a daughter who very quickly one day, she will be growing up and she will be buying clothes and she will be picking outfits and she will be making decisions on her own about what it is that she will put on her body. And I want so very much to teach my daughter the right way to represent herself even out in the middle of an ungodly world. And I recognize that that seems like a very, very lofty kind of goal. But I want you to know this morning that God is on our side here. As our opening text stated in 1 Timothy 2 verses 9 and 10, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, 
modestly and discreetly. And we'll talk a little bit more about what those terms mean in just a few moments. But what I am confident of is this. And that is that God wants this sermon to be preached. Because He wants all of us to recognize the delicate power of modesty. Now, in order order for us to talk about the power of modesty, there are some absolute truths that every godly woman needs to first understand. And ladies, I'm not kidding around about this. You need to lock in. You need to hone in on these three truths. First and foremost, you need to understand the allure of your body. You need to understand the allure of your body. This is not Josh standing up here being a pervert. This is Josh stating a fact. God has built a woman's body physically different from the body of a man. And God has built a woman's body to be beautiful to a man in a way that really doesn't work in that opposite direction. You know, men are, we are largely visual creatures. It seems like everything that we do, it is based primarily and initially on what we see and how we then react to what we see. And so God built woman with a body that is alluring, captivating to a man's eyes. Sometimes people will talk about a woman's sexuality or a woman's attractiveness. There's all kinds of terms that we could use to describe the effect that God created for the female form to have on a man. And ladies, I realize that by saying that and then repeating it two or three times already, I recognize that probably is making you very uncomfortable. Josh, we're talking about how alluring we are. But I believe it needs to be said. And the reason I believe it needs to be said is because I am convinced that lots of women don't get that. Young ladies especially, you need to start understanding how a man's brain works directly off of what he sees. You don't believe me about that? Look in the Bible, if you will. Look in the Song of Solomon. Do you remember the Song of Solomon? Just open up to kind of the middle of your Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. In Song of Solomon chapter 4, this is that book of the Bible that celebrates the relationship between a man and a woman from courtship all the way up through marriage. In chapter 4, this is the man speaking here. And I want you to notice how he is talking about His bride. How does he describe this woman? In Song of Solomon chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes. Verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Verse 4, your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. Verse 5, actually let's stop right there. I'm going to conclude with verse 4. You'll thank me for stopping there. Did you notice? Did you notice that in all of that guy's talking, he doesn't say anything about about her intelligence. He doesn't comment on what a great personality she has. How witty she is. What a great sense of humor she has. Now, she may have been all of those things. But this man is reacting, just as I believe all men react, to the physical body that we see before our eyes. That is the way that men are built, so that that attraction would work in the way that God designed it to. 
Or how about maybe a living, breathing example of this in the life of David? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, I was reminded of this as I was preparing for our upcoming VBS. How David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and in verse 2, he completely lost his mind. He lost his entire concept of what is right and what is wrong. How did that happen? What could possibly discombobulate a man so much that he would put into jeopardy his family, his kingdom, and even his very own soul? I'll tell you what would do that to a man. It was the sight of a woman's exposed body. And her body appealed to his eyes in a way that was well beyond what David was willing to control. Or what about in the New Testament? Somebody may say, well, Josh, those are Old Testament examples. What about the New Testament? I'll give you a New Testament verse. Look in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and these are Jesus' instructions to men. And while this passage certainly could, we could turn the tables here, and I think it would equally apply to women, it is of interest to me that Jesus specifically addresses these words to men. And I think there's a reason Jesus addresses this to men. In Matthew 5 and in verse 28, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did you catch it there? Where does the trouble start for this man? The trouble starts with the look. That's where it starts. And ladies, you need to understand that men are just naturally inclined to look, which I believe just speaks even more volumes about the allure of your body. So somebody says, okay, well, Josh, well, well, what then is modesty? Well, modesty is a reflection of your understanding of that truth. Modesty is when you understand the allure of your body. You understand the way that a man's mind works and you then take possession of your vessel. You then take possession of that allure. You have it. God gave it to you. You are beautiful. And so you take possession of it. You take it captive. You guard it. You keep it. You protect it. You take responsibility for it. And that is why godly women cover their bodies. Because they know the dangerous effects that it can have if they do not. And let's be honest. This isn't anything new. This certainly shouldn't be any new revelation to us. Because for centuries now, there have been women who have misused their allure. They have been irresponsible with the allure that God gave them. Because instead of possessing it and hiding it, they have shown it and flaunted it. I'll show you that. Look in Proverbs chapter 7 with me. In Proverbs chapter 7, the wise man here, he's trying to to give some instructions to his son to help him to be on guard and to be careful about what he will encounter in the world. And so he tells a story here about seeing this, this simple boy This naive boy who's out walking the streets at night who really doesn't stand a chance because who does he encounter while he's on the streets at night? In Proverbs 7, read with him beginning in verse 10. Behold, behold the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street. Now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and she kisses him. 
And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer my sacrifices today. Had to pay my vows today. You continue on reading. She invites him back to her house where her husband is not home. I want you to just simply notice here that before she ever even spoke to him, before she ever even touched him, he saw her. He saw how she was dressed. Her first line of allure, what took down his defenses in the beginning, was not verse 13, was not verse 14, it was verse 10, where she was dressed like a harlot. She was using that body that God had given her in an irresponsible manner. And it was doing what beauty does to people. It affected people's minds. It affected the mind of that young man. She did not possess herself properly. Now listen, ladies. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that if you dress modestly all the time, that you can completely control the effect of your allure on a man. That you can control the way every man thinks. But I'll tell you this. You can limit the way that he thinks. You understand that? You can limit how far he is able to go with his eyes before he ever has to start using his imagination. Does everybody follow what I'm saying there? And when I talk about him using his imagination, I'm not talking about him dressing you up and putting a nice sweater on you. I'm talking about him doing just the opposite. You know, there are times when a man is looking at a woman and because of how revealing her clothing is, because of how much of her allure she is exposing, the man doesn't even have to use his imagination. I've been in circumstances before where I'm standing here in front of this woman and I'm not having to use my imagination at all because it's right there. It's all laid bare. And so I will say again, you cannot stop a man's imagination. That's on him. But you are commanded by God to limit what He has to work with. That's on you. Everybody follow? I heard an older sister once. She was talking about a good test that she often encouraged young ladies to to use and to help in this particular area. She called it the tug test. And as soon as she said it, I knew exactly what she was talking about. Because I cannot tell you how many times I have been talking to a woman. And I'm thinking here like specifically, like talking to a sister in Christ. Like after services, you know, I'm shaking hands and trying to chat with folks and get to know folks, be preaching in different places. I can't tell you how many times I've been in those conversations. And as we're talking, she's, she's tugging up. She's pulling up her blouse this way. Or she's tugging down, trying to pull her skirt and extend it down that way. She's tugging and pulling that fabric as far as it possibly can go. And during all of that, how do you think that I feel? I feel incredibly uncomfortable. I actually usually feel guilty. Like, did I do something wrong here? I must have done something wrong here. Am I some kind of deviant or a pervert here? Now, I realize sometimes ladies might say about that, well, lots of ladies just kind of do that out of habit. It's just a habit sort of thing, and I get that. But stop and think about, ladies. Stop and think about why it is that you feel the need to do that tugging. Is it because maybe... Maybe just maybe there's a, a line there. Maybe there's even just a, just a shadow of a line there that is revealing just, just a little bit too much. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tug this way or tug that way or tug in the other direction to try and somehow cover it up. Can I tell you what that older sister said about the tug? She said, if you need a tug to cover it, then cover it. 
Right? Because that's where it all starts. It all starts with an understanding of the allure of your body. That's what all of that tugging is about. Because you recognize that you need to possess that allure. Because it is not to be given away freely to anyone and to everyone. Which leads right directly into this second truth this morning. And that is that, ladies, you need to understand, secondly, you need to understand the purpose of your body. As soon as I get up and say that you need to keep your allure a secret, that you need to cover it, that you need to show it to no one, then the question you are naturally inclined to ask is, well, then why did God give this to me? Why did God give me this beauty and this allure? And ladies, I think that is a fair question to ask. Why did God create women with such allure, with such beauty, and then command you to show it to no one? Well, there's a purpose for that. What is the purpose for your body? Let me first of all tell you what it isn't. The purpose of your body, first of all, is not for self-worth. God did not give you allure so that you could then show that to others and then make yourself feel beautiful. That is not the purpose of your sexuality, to make yourself feel worthwhile. And I say that because our society today is saying just the opposite. Our society tells women today that in order to empower yourself, you need to show it. You need to be free with all of that. That's how you have power. That is a lie of the devil and it stinks of the fires of hell. Furthermore, I want you to know that the purpose of your body is not to to, to promote your self-worth. And furthermore, the purpose is not for you to then be accepted by others. That's not the purpose of your body. And that is the pressure that I believe many of our young ladies are facing today. That if you will, just dress like everyone else is dressed. If you will reveal as much as everyone else is revealed, well well then you'll be accepted. We'll accept you. We'll like you. You'll be popular with us. That is not the purpose of the secret that God has entrusted to you. Ladies, you want to know what the purpose of your body is? You want to know what the purpose of your allure is? It is this. It is to fulfill the desires of your husband. That is the one and only reason that God has given you allure. So we ask then, well, what then is modesty? Well, modesty then is your willingness. Modesty is your power to preserve that allure. To hold on to that purpose and to not give it away to anyone and everyone. You give it away only when you have joined a man in marriage and then he and he alone is allowed to enjoy it. Now here's the thing. We understand that completely whenever it comes to someone touching your body. Isn't that right? No man is allowed to touch your body in inappropriate places unless you are married and then it is no longer inappropriate. Can I ask you this? Should we not also apply that same standard to a man's eyes? If he cannot touch, then he should not see. Young ladies, I'm going to say it again. If he cannot touch, then he should not see. Look with me in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, go back all the way to the beginning to that first man and that first woman. I do want you to understand that beauty is exhilarating to a man. And I have no doubt that Adam was exhilarated whenever God gave him this wife. In Genesis chapter 2, look in verse 18. 
The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God then creates that helper. Her name is Eve. Drop down to verse 22. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I won't say too much about that, but I will bet that that was quite interesting for Adam to be presented with a wife and she doesn't have any clothes on. All of her, her body, this is the point here, all of her was for him. That is why she was unclothed. And that is why there was no shame there. Because her body belonged to him and his body belonged to her. Folks, I want you to understand that that, that is still the case today. That was the first marriage and that is the case for every godly marriage. That your body is for one person and that one person's body is for you. And so modesty says, I understand that. I understand that so much and so clearly and so deeply that I will not show my body to anyone but my spouse. Which might cause some of you to sit here and say this morning, well, okay, Joshua, that's that's Genesis chapter 2. That's talking about a couple of married folks. What about me? I'm not married. The answer remains the same. You cover your body. You hide it. You keep it a secret. You show it to no one. You preserve it. You honor it. You tell God that His plan works. You tell Him that you believe in His plan. And that you have reserved your body for one person so that when you finally do meet that man that you love and you marry that man, you can then give him something that no one else has ever had before. You can then show him something that no one else has ever seen before. i tell you this, that's a good plan for a good marriage. That is the kind of approach that every woman needs to take for every garment that they put on their bodies. Look with me in Proverbs 5, please. In Proverbs chapter 5, the wise man this time, he uses some imagery here about the relationship between the husband and the wife. And it is an imagery that I believe is very, very powerful when you start to understand it. Because when you grasp this imagery, it really helps to put in perspective the the uniqueness of the husband-wife relationship And how those things then are not to be shared with anyone else. In Proverbs chapter 5, begin with me in verse 15. In Proverbs 5 and verse 15, Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now, the wise man starts by using some of that imagery in verses 15 through 18. But by the time we get to verse 19, he makes it clear. That way we're not you know, kind of scratching our heads wondering what he's talking about here. He's talking very literally, isn't he? And what's he talking about? He is talking about her body. And how there is this sharing together in marriage of the bodies with one another. And the imagery that he begins with is with this idea of of a cistern. A cistern of water. 
And when a man and a woman are married, she is figuratively, she is that cistern of water. And he then is the one who drinks from it. Which means then that he is not allowed to drink from a cistern over here or a cistern over there or any cistern that he pleases. In fact, that's verse 20. By that very same token, she is not allowed to disperse her water to anyone who comes along. I'm thirsty here. Give me some of the water. No, she's not allowed to do that. That is the point that the wise man is getting at. Now again, I believe all of us, I believe just like all of humanity understands this, whenever you talk about touch, you would not let someone who is not your husband touch you in a place that is reserved just for him. And So I ask, why are you showing it to someone who is other than your husband? What's the difference? I'm submitting to you this morning that there is no difference. What we keep from touch, we keep from sight. And so maybe a test here that would maybe help ladies here is what I will just call the touch test. It's pretty simple. It's pretty much exactly what you think it is. If you would not allow a man who is not your husband to touch you on a certain part of your body, then do not show him that part of your body. Now, I know as soon as services are over, people are going to kind of get jokey with this and they're going to start going up to me and start touching me like here and here and here. Josh, how do you feel about all that? And that can be a little bit awkward, somebody coming up and touching you in your neck and on your cheek. But you know, even if somebody did that, that's not illicit. There's nothing sexual or nasty about that. But you know and I know that there are other places that women sometimes reveal that if a stranger came up to them and put his hand on that exposed piece of flesh, he would be arrested on the spot. So don't show a man what he cannot touch. And I believe the reason that some women struggle with this is back to truth number one. They don't get it. They don't understand the allure of their bodies. But you see, don't you? I hope that you see that. That what we keep from touch, we keep from sight. And I tell you, I've been thinking about this an awful lot from the perspective being a father. When my daughter gets older and she reaches the age where she can go out on a date with a young man, if part of her body is exposed in a place where I don't want that young man's hand to be, she ain't leaving the house. I don't care how mad it makes her. That ain't ever going to happen. And you know what? Even if she is properly clothed from head to toe, But his eyes, I can tell that his eyes are in places where his hand is not welcome. She still ain't leaving the house. And why? Because I know boys. I was a boy and I'm a man now. Even if she is completely innocent, I know the way that men think. And ladies, you need to do your best to understand that as well. I want to say for, I think, probably like the third time now. You are not responsible for what a man thinks. But you are responsible for what you allow him to see. And modesty says that you need to hold on to that secret. You hold on to that allure. You keep it protected. You guard it 
Until the day comes that you are with the one that you have pledged your life to in lifelong marriage. All of that then leads us to this third and final truth this morning. These first two truths really really have dealt with external kinds of things. It has dealt with our body and the clothing that we put on it. But I think this third truth really gets down to the core real issue here. Modesty isn't really about clothes. Clothing is important. But modesty at the end of the day, it really, it really is about the goal of your heart. What we choose to wear, it is simply an outgrowth of our heart. It is a product merely of what is on the inside. And that is why I believe 1 Timothy chapter 2 is so important to this discussion. Would you go back to where we started this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2? This is probably the go-to passage on modesty and with good reason. I want to read that passage again, but I don't just yet want to read the modesty part because we first need to actually get a hold of what's really being talked about in this text. Because I think the real point, the real takeaway here is found there near the end of verse 10, near the end of that sentence. Notice there, it says, Women who profess godliness. That's the goal. That is what this is all about. That there are women, Paul recognized, there are women who want to be godly. And they want to profess that in every decision that they make. And so it will affect the words that come out of their mouth. It will affect the places that they go. It will affect the things that they do. And in this context, it will affect the clothes that they put on themselves. That is one of the ways that a woman can profess godliness in that it will be evidenced by the way that she dresses. And so this morning, ladies and young ladies, If godliness is your goal, and I sure hope that it is, then modesty is your power to prove that goal. You know, oftentimes you hear folks say, and somebody might even be thinking this morning right now, you know what, don't judge me by the clothes that I wear. Oh, God does. God does every single day. Because what is on your body... It is telling God, it is telling the world, it is telling everyone around you exactly what is in your heart. Look again at the passage, 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. Likewise also, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Folks, if there is proper, then there is improper. If you can profess godliness, then you can profess lasciviousness. If there is a path that pleases God, then there is also a path that pleases the devil. And Paul's point here is that women have to choose that path. The path to godliness, Paul says, it includes some key components. Look at the words that he uses there in verse 9. First of all, the ESV renders this respectable apparel. If you're reading from a New American Standard, I really like that version. It says proper clothing. You want to know what that word means? Literally, you want to know what that word means? It means good behavior clothing. I like that. Think about that. Good behavior clothing. I tell you this, I don't want to be caught wearing bad behavior clothing, do you? No, I don't want to wear bad behavior clothing. 
But if a woman is wearing something that is too low cut, too revealing, if a woman is wearing something that is too high, it's too tight, it's, it's exposing other things, that is bad behavior clothing. Because it does not honor what God is instructing us about what a woman should be. And then Paul uses that term, modesty, in verse 9. And unfortunately, that is a word that has become very, very generic in our day and time. People say all the time, well, you know, your standard of modesty is different from mine. Cultures have different standards on modesty. Well, let me clarify to you what that word means. If you've got a King James Bible, I really like the word that's used there. It is the word shamefacedness. Sit on that for a second. Shamefacedness. What that means is, is that means that this woman, she is bashful toward men. That is, she would be more inclined to cover up and wear three extra layers in the middle of summer than to expose even the shadow of a line that would reveal her allure to a man. She counts it as a privilege to be overtly conservative. It means she is bashful toward men and she is reverent toward God. Which means, ladies, before you go hit the mall and they're going to have their big one day sale, or before you go buy that new dress for your friend's wedding, or before you go get some new clothes for school or for church or for the beach, would you please ask yourselves this? Does this attire, does this outfit, Does it reflect bashfulness toward men and reverence toward God? That's shamefacedness. That's modesty. And then Paul uses one other term there in verse 9. In the ESV, he uses the term self-control. The New American Standard uses the term discreetly or discretion. And we know about that, don't we? Self-control, sobriety of mind. That is, before I put this outfit on, before I purchase this article of clothing, before I walk out the door dressed as I am, I'm going to hit the pause button for a moment. And I'm going to think about what I am wearing from a spiritual standpoint. I am determined that I will control myself. In fact, I am willing even to look in the mirror and to tell myself, "Mm, nope, nope, I will not do that and I cannot do that. That's a really novel concept, isn't it? That in the interest of achieving godliness, I will actually tell myself no about certain types of clothing. That is what the Bible says that godly women will do. And then the last part of verse 9, this business about not with braided hair or with gold or with pearls or with costly attire. I want you to understand, Paul is not negating those things. Ladies might be sitting here this morning thinking, oh, take these earrings off and mess my hair up a little bit. That's, That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is negating here is he is negating the importance of those things. The Bible's not saying that you can't ever fix your hair or put on makeup or wear jewelry. But what the Bible is saying is that if you need those things in order to be beautiful, then you don't understand real beauty. Real beauty, verse 10, is when women are adorned with what is proper for godliness with good works. Somebody might say, well, what do works have to do with all of this? Josh, I thought we were talking about clothes here. I thought we were talking about how clothes reflect a woman's heart. What's this got to do with good works? Do I need to spell it out? What you put on is a work. And to be modest 
and to prove your godliness and to then put that on display for an ungodly world to see, that is every much, every bit much a good work in Christ as teaching a Bible class or evangelizing the lost or taking food to the sick. And this woman, Paul says, this woman will be godly. This woman will be very much like that virtuous woman that's described in Proverbs 31. Ladies, I, I trust you know about the Proverbs 31 woman, don't you? That she is known by all. She is known in the streets, not in the way the harlot is known. She is known in the marketplace. She is known in her home and she is praised by her husband. Why? Because, Proverbs 31 verse 25, because strength and dignity are her clothing. That's describing a woman of character, of substance. That is a woman who can pass the the, the tug test. This is a woman who can pass the touch test. This is a woman who can pass any other test that we might devise because she has chosen to err on the side of holiness. It doesn't make her a special woman or a superwoman. That just makes her a Christian. A Christian whose dress is very much consistent with the intentions of her heart. Let me close here with a word to our men. Men, it is true that while the clothing of our wives and our sisters and our daughters, it is true that their clothing is telling the world exactly who they are, it is also true that our attitude about that clothing, it's telling the world who we are. And so stop and think about, what kind of ladies do you allow yourself to look at? Stop and ask yourself, what kind of clothing do we discourage our wives and daughters and sisters in wear? And by that same token, what kind of clothing do we encourage them to wear out in public? What kinds of conversations are we having about modest attire in our homes and in our families? All of that, I believe, factors in to the kind of woman that our wives and our sisters and our daughters will become. Gentlemen, what are you and I doing to help them in that process? Now I know, I know that a sermon like this, it runs the risk of being very, very unpopular. And I guess in some ways that is to be expected in a society that has become very lowbrow, a society that has become very loose morally. I would expect this to be an unpopular sermon to them out there. But I'll tell you what I'd like to think. I'd like to think that in here is a group of people who have made it their life's mission to bring honor and glory to God in everything that we do, so much so that a sermon such as this would not fall on deaf ears. That my sisters in Christ, that you would understand, number one, the allure of your body and that you would take possession of it. That you would understand how God has blessed you with beauty for a purpose and that is limited only to the exhilaration of your husband. And that you would understand that every outfit, every article of clothing... Every choice, every time, it is announcing to your family, it is announcing to your friends, it is announcing to strangers, and it is announcing to God Almighty exactly what is inside your heart. My prayer this morning is that what you are announcing and what you are professing 
is godliness by being women who exercise the delicate power of modesty. Now, I chose to end with this third point about the heart because it is the heart that the Lord appeals to in His great invitation. And this morning, if you are having difficulty with some aspect of your life, maybe you are having difficulty with this clothing business. Maybe, gentlemen, you're having difficulty with your eyes. If you're having difficulty with something else, maybe with your words or your attitudes or your conduct in some other way, I tell you this, it all goes right back to the heart. Something is amiss within your heart. And that's why we are encouraging you this morning to get your heart right with God. Brother or sister, if we can pray with you, encourage you, help you, study with you, talk to you, just provide a shoulder for you to lean on. We're ready to do that so that we can all serve the Lord in a better kind of way. It may be this morning that the problem is, is that you've never actually given your heart to the Lord. You need to know that God wants your heart. He is calling for your heart. We're actually going to sing about that in just a second. And it may be that what you need to do then is you need to obey the gospel. And the good news is that today you can do just that. You can confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And talking about clothing here, in Galatians 3 verse 27, the Bible says that you can then be clothed with Christ in baptism. When you do that, you'll become one of God's children. You'll be forgiven of any and every sin and you can be on the path that leads to heaven. What is in your heart right now? Is your heart right with God? And if it's not, will you give it to Him today? Think about that right now and act upon it while we stand and while we sing.